Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is sponsored by Marty Goldberg. Dedicated in, uh, in honor of myself. Thank you very much. And then the, the entire Kahal, the Gabaim. Hazaka thank you so much. <coughs> I, uh, I want to start by talking about a beautiful line. Now, our Chachamim tell us on this powerful line, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear uh, the words of my mouth. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu talking to the heavens and to the earth? What, why? It sounds like a very strange conversation. You know, if someone today talks to the heavens or the earth, you lock them up. So what's going on? Why is Moshe Rabbeinu He's on that level. speaking to the heavens and the earth? And the answer, uh, and the answer is that ultimately Moshe Rabbeinu was going to uh, let the heavens and earth bear witness to his words. Like we find the pasuk, "Haidoti bachem, the shamayim et I call as witnesses uh, for you or on you the heavens and the earth. If you listen to the words of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you do the right thing. Then who's going to be the one? That's going, to, uh, that's going to affect the payback, whether it's positive or negative, it's going to be the earth. We have a halakha that says that whenever there's witnesses that witness something, so let's say two witnesses realize someone who uh, gets the death penalty. So the halakha is, if we decide, if the bet din rules that the person needs to be killed, uh, because I don't know if he killed somebody else or whatever the case might be, the hands of the edim are the ones that have to carry out uh, the punishment. On one level, it's because we want to make sure that they're being honest and we know that if they know that they have to do the deed by themselves, it's a deterrent. But on the other hand as well, there's other reasonings too which maybe are not relevant to this, uh, to this specific discussion. However, regarding this, this concept that the witnesses themselves need to be the ones that first intervene on the, uh, on the crime and its punishment, what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying is, listen, heaven and earth, because you're going to be the ones that are the witnesses. You're going to be the ones that are going to hold back the rain or bring, you know, the storms or whatever the case might be. So you're the ones that need to be the witnesses because you're going to be the ones that are going to pay back. Now, I see in this something, uh, I think, which is very, very interesting. And that is that a lot of times we think that when a person is punished or rewarded, min there needs to be some sort of epic story. Yeah, and he, a guy he prays very, very well, and all of a sudden, his wife, who had no womb, you know, all of a sudden is able to give children. Like a nest like uh, the caliber of Sarai Menu. You know? Or a person, you know, I don't know, he has no legs, and he, he did a big misvah, and all of a sudden his legs grew, right? You know, you think of these open miracles that you can't even wrap your head around, and that's what we refer to when we talk about God's involvement in the world. But actually what we find in this Pasuk is that the idea of and God dealing with people in a specific way based on a specific reason, i.e. because of the mitzvot that they did or the averot that they did, etc., etc., etc. In either of those cases, it doesn't have to be that it's something which is outlandish. It can be something as simple as the crops that he has or the business that he has having a good year or the rain not coming or a bad year. So I want to share with you an unbelievable expression of this concept. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, he quoted a fantastic idea. 
There's a, 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 a Teshuvah, a Sefer called Amudeh Esh, I believe, is the name of it. Amudeh Esh, which literally means, excuse me, pillars of fire. And uh, the, the person at the end, at the end of each uh, Teshuvah, at the end of each responsa, he would sign his name. And how did he sign his name on the, on the paper? He signed the end of each name, Ha'aluv. Interesting, huh? Ha'aluv. Mazotomer Ha'aluv, Boaz, you speak Hebrew? No, that's Aluf. Alef, Lamed, Vav, Pei. This is Aluf with an Ayn. Amude Or, excuse me, is the name of the book. Aluf means someone who is? Very, a sharp guy. Nope. Lowly, embarrassed, humiliated. Like the word Elbon means when someone humiliates you. So Aluf means a person who's downtrodden, who's humiliated, who's, you know. And he would write that at the end of each one. Which is a very, very interesting way to sign off. You know, uh, this is Rabbi Shlomo Vari, bottom of the letter, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, the humiliated. What, what does that even mean? It's one of those situations where you know there's a story. Maybe he's being humble. Some people write hakatan, small. You know, right, aluv means I was, I, was, uh, I was humiliated. I was, you know, people spoke about me that, you know, what's the story? Fascinating story. The, the, there was a, a very, very wealthy man who had a business that he would open up like a, a tremendous sales a few different times a year. He had a big store and people would come from all around the country to shop you know, during this time in his store where he had the best goods and all the best items. It wasn't only Jews that found out about how good the prices and things were in, in this man's store and the luxury items. But also all the nobility of the land, the, the princes and, the, and the, um, the dukes and all the high, the nobility, they would come and shop there as well. Because, you know, it was only open for a short amount of time. This guy was able to procure goods that no one else could get their hands on. He, he, he made, did very well for himself. And very quickly, this Jewish man became very wealthy. But unfortunately, a lot of times with, uh, with great wealth, what happens? You have a great Ayinara. People start looking, oh, look at him, the sky, what he has, and, 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 and people, they get jealous. It's very hard for people to see other people's success and to be happy. It's a very important rule. person does very, very well, all of a sudden, uh, the people around them, they're good friends, in fact. People they're very friendly with. All of a sudden, you notice a change in temperature, I call it. Change in temperature. And by the way, doing very well doesn't only mean business. You know, all of a sudden, a guy gets married, and his friends are not married yet. And there's this distance between them and their friends. And they'll ask me, Rabbi, I don't understand these people I grew up with, all the old time I got married, it's like I've been pushed out. I don't understand what's going on. I said, look, they all are all engaged in the process. They're not engaged. Poor choice of words. But they're busy trying to get married as well. And all of a sudden, you, you know, pull away the, you know, the, the, the lead horse in the race, you know, it makes them feel, when they see you, it makes them rem- remember that they're, that's not where they at. They were at. So it's hard for them. So people, you know, they begrudge other people happiness. And it can be in many different ways, Rabotai. You have people sometimes, you know, well, they say to you, how come this person is jealous of me? The thing I got now, whether it's, let's say I got married late. So and they're all married already. What, are they jealous of me now that I'm married? They're also married. They have kids already. What are they jealous of? And sometimes the answer is, that a person may have had a lot of other things going for them that they did that their friends didn't have. But the one thing they were able to tell themselves all this time is, you know what? 
It's good that he has all that stuff. Hazi, he's not. Hazi, he doesn't have that. So the one thing they could use to answer why, you know, they're still better than you is because even though you have all those other things, right, but, but there's one thing they could, like, they're holding you down. Now you have that too. All of a sudden it becomes difficult. People are funny. In fact, the Pasuk says about Aharon HaKohen, that when Aharon saw Moshe Rabbeinu, he saw that he had this amazing Jew job that he's been promoted to, you know, senior navi of the Jewish people for all of eternity. What does it say about Aharon? And he sees you. He's worried. Moshe is worried that Aharon is going to be uh, is going to be upset by it. Now, by the way, remember, this is Moshe Rabenu and Aharon. This is not the Joe and Shmo two brothers, Mo, Larry, and Curly, the two biggest people like ever lived. Okay, and still Moshe thought, you know what? It's going to be difficult for my brother, especially he's an older brother. Abutai in business, especially you have brothers in business or a family business, and the oldest brother is not the most powerful brother. Shema Israel, Uli, eggshells galore. Everybody needs to walk around on tiptoes. It's very, very difficult. People have, unfortunately, human nature is is fragile. Our egos are fragile. You know, we need to be taken care of. We need to be loved. We need to feel special. We need to feel, in many ways, we need to feel better than. And it's okay if I'm better than you at A, if so long as, you know, so long, I'll let you be better than me at A if, if I'm better than you at B. But if you get all the cards, Uli, forget about it. So this guy, he's slowly but surely making more and more money in a town, sleepy town. Everyone starts talking, talking, talking. And what are they going to talk about? The guy's a Sadiq. He has a good business, but he's a righteous man. He has a single daughter. She's working in the store. She's very proficient. She's very smart. She knows how to sell the items, to sell the goods. She knows how to write everything down, the billing, the this, the that. She's, a very, she's her father's right-hand man in the store. People start talking. This girl sits there all the time, single young girl. You have all these non-Jewish princes coming in. Something must have happened. They must have gotten friendly with her. Something must have, you know, there must have been something untoward over there. She's friendly with the princes, with all these goyim, non-Jewish people. It's not the right thing, la, 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 la. And everyone is talking. Is there any truth to this? Uh, nothing at all. Time comes for this girl to get married. All the good shiduchim that she should have had, all the good people that should have married her from the town, all this, the rabbis, daughters, sons, all the, you know, the, the, the wealthy you know, businessmen who were upstanding members of the community, which is what this type of you know, marriage partner that she really was cut out to receive. Nothing, nothing doing. A year goes by, two years go by. They can't get a single person in the village, in the town, to go out with this girl because they only want someone who's religious. But people are saying things about her that she's not appropriate or she's not, you know, no one will touch this shidduch with a 10-foot pole. Even people from other cities or other countries that would try and find out about it, they'd speak to somebody in the town. They would say, look, you could do whatever you like, but, uh, you know, do you really want a wife for your son who's uh, friendly with all the non-Jewish? Forget it. Dead in the water. The father, every day he sees his daughter, he's shedding tears. That his daughter, amazing girl, is sitting there alone and... Uh, and not finding her nasib. He decides, like the Gemara says, That's what the Gemara says. Better to be married, even if the, the marriage, the, the shiduch, the, you know, the match is not the most prestigious match, but you know, you, a simple person, but at least you're building a family, and then to sit around and doing nothing. 
That's what the Gemara says. Better to be married, even if it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but to be married to somebody, to be building a, ha- a house, to be you know, developing, to start your life's process, than to be so choosy that you don't get married to anybody. So he looks around, is there a person, maybe he's not so smart, maybe he's not so, uh, you know, big maybe he's not so, you know, well-to-do, but at least he's a good person. And he finds this guy, and the guy's name is Aaron, okay? What is he? Simple guy. What is his job? His job is, and the wagon drivers, when they would travel long distances, so they would need to, you know, you have to whip and guide the horses. So Hada, he wasn't even, he wasn't even a full-fledged wagon driver, he was the guy who T.O.'d the reins, you know, when the other guy was falling asleep. He was the second driver of a substitute co-pilot, Yanni, of, uh, what's it called? Of the wagon drivers. Big, strong guy. Sweet, gentle, never heard a fly, but not the sharpest tool in the shed. You know, doesn't have that many prospects going for him. And his parents had died. There was a guy who was uh, mentoring him. He was like his uh, father figure. And even this guy, when they came to him with the shiduch, he said, I don't know. You know, after a week he comes back, he says, look, okay, go for it. You know, let's try. They wind up, the time comes for the wedding. And it's a bittersweet experience for this uh, wealthy man and his daughter. They have a wedding to go to, a wedding to plan. They're, she's in the dress. She's, you know, they've got the wedding party outside the synagogue in the town. And uh, the world is invited. And who's she marrying? A very simple person, and she's from, you know, like the very high stock and very well-learned and everything like this. It's a bittersweet occasion. On the other hand, she's very happy. She <clears throat> thinks the guy is a good person, and she's happy to start a life. They're about to have the chuppah, and this woman raises her hand, and she asks for silence. Could you imagine a bride in her gown? She asks for silence in the, uh, in the place. Everybody goes quiet. You know, they, you can't wait to hear what she says. And she stands up in front of the entire city and she addresses not the people, but she addresses God himself. I really got to listen to this. I'm going to read you what she says. She says, Ribono shel olam, Master of the world, Atayodea, you know, Kiani bat Israel kishera, that I am a holy and a kosher Jewish young girl. And I am clean from any stain. I didn't do a thing. I never made a single mistake. You know, she says to God. She says, In the merit of this, I'm begging of you before my wedding. That you should give me holy and kosher children that should be free of any stain, of any uh, uh, blemish. And with that, she goes to the chuppah, to the simple man. They have four children. All four of the children become tremendous Tamidei Chachamim. One of which, his name is the Amude Or, the one who wrote this book. And he signed off every Teshuvah, every responsa that he wrote, Ha'aluv, the humiliated. You see the power, Rabotai, of two things in the story. You see the power, number one, of the humiliation of somebody, how far that goes, and the fruits that that provides. Number two, you see the power of prayer. But Rabotai, when you combine the two, ooh, Lee, 
Like the Pasuk says, Lev nishbar v'nidke, Elohim lotivzeh. A broken heart, God will never turn away. She's praying, she's humiliated, she's embarrassed. Unbelievable. In fact, the Gemara says that a person, Ashremi, this is amazing, Ashremi shechoshdim bo ve'en. Praiseworthy, lucky is he, shechoshdim bo, that they suspect him ve'en, and there's nothing. Unbelievable, because what's going to happen to that person is not normal. Where do we find this as well? We find it in the Torah. The Torah tells us that if a person lends a very poor person, they lend him, he lends him some money. So what's, you know, you want to make sure you're going to get your money back. What's the standard operating procedure? You take a, uh, a what's it called? A collateral. You take a, a collateral from the person. So the, the Pasuk says, what happens if the only thing the guy has to give you is his pajamas? His blanket, his pillow. He doesn't have anything else. The Pasuk says, every single night, you have to come back to his house and give him back his pillow. Now, I want you to realize what that means. That means that you're lending someone money. What's the purpose of a collateral? Have something as a... So that the guy should want to pay you back because you have his item, right? So as an example, if I take your car, you're going to want to pay me back because you can't get anywhere. The whole point of the collateral is... So you get paid back. Now how about if I lend you money, Sam, and I tell you, you know what, Sammy, give me your car as collateral. And you give me your car. But anytime you need your car, I give it to you. That's the worst collateral in the world. There's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of urgency. Literally, I lose nothing. All it means is I need to hand you my keys and then take them back from you. (laughs) So what in the world is the Torah telling you? You have a poor man here. You take his pajamas. Every night you got to bring his pajamas back. What's the point of the collateral? I don't know. I don't care, says the pasuk. You know why? The guy's going to be freezing cold at night. He's going to be sad. He's going to be embarrassed. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be downtrodden. He's going to be brokenhearted. He will call to me, says God, and I will answer his prayers. And you're going to suffer. You hear that? You know what I see from this? You know what I see from this? You see, the chidush is that I understand if I humiliate someone and the person who's humiliated turns to God and says, look at what he's done to me, that God is going to listen to those prayers because I've done something wrong. But here, in the Pasuk, when you lent the guy the money, you didn't do something wrong. You did him a favor. You lent the money. Still, if he calls against you, why? God says, I'm compassionate. I can't, so to speak, I can't help myself. I'm going to listen to him. And you're going to suffer. That's the power of humiliation. How careful we have to be. But Rabbutai, coming all the way back, full circle. So where does that come from? God has a, a million tools in his arsenal. Like the uh, Chazal tell us, our rabbis teach us, God has many messengers. And you think many messengers means miracles. And you think many messengers means angels. God has many messengers. God controls the weather. Hashem wants you to have a bad cold. What's he going to do? He'll turn the thermostat down a little bit. He'll make sure that the day that you didn't have a scarf, that's when the wind blows. Or vice versa, Rabbutai. Person's not feeling well, all of a sudden, that, that year, they come out with a drug to solve that sickness. And the guy thinks, oh, I'm so lucky. Exactly when I caught the sickness is the year that they came out with the, with the cure. No, silly. They came out with the cure this year because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking care of you. Right? That's how it works. You listen to what I need to say. This is the world, nature, occurrences, everything that happens in our world is in God's hands. 
and they are the witnesses. They are the ones that will decide how and when, so to speak, to exact that retribution that a person needs through God's direction. Okay? May Hashem bless us all the time to receive the blessings from those around us in miraculous ways and in the less than miraculous ways, the ways that we believe or we ascribe to, uh, to the weather, to uh, natural disasters. You know, you have someone, they spend $2 million on the most beautiful wedding ever, and then what happens? And then it rains. Could you believe that? $2 million, gone. The whole wedding has to be moved inside because it's pouring with rain. Who, who controls that? How does that work? That is Hazinu HaShamayim V'Haaretz. May Hashem bless us all the time to be on the right side of this, to, uh, to be doing the right things, to ensure that when things, uh, that when, when, uh, when things go wrong, or when things go right, we're able to point our finger and say, this is coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to understand the messages that are being sent to us. Like this person, the Amu Deor, who understood that although he could have said, the reason why I am who I am is because I studied in Yeshiva. The reason I am who I am is because I'm so smart. The reason I am who I am is because I have a good rabbi. No, 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 no. The reason I am who I am is Ha'aluv. Because my mom had a story and she prayed from all of her heart and that's what made me the person that I am today. May God bless us. Amen. Hashem to always Amen. experience His Berachot. Baruch Amen. 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 Am